Hello, and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, hosted by 4constructionpros.com, covering various aspects of the construction industry, including the equipment, people, companies, and associations making it all happen. In this episode, 4constructionpros editor Larry Stewart sits down with Brian Poge, construction support manager at Raken, who talks about real opportunities contractors have to distinguish their businesses as they strive to deliver projects through the pandemic if they commit to unusual tools. Valuable business relationships get forged in foxhole environments like today's. Let's dig in with Larry and Brian now. Hi, Brian Pogue. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us on the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here, Larry. Thank you so much for having me. Now, your, your title at Raken is Construction Support Manager. Can you give me just a little bit on what that means? What, what do you do? Absolutely. So I spent the last 10 years of my career working in the construction industry uh, for general contractors, developers, and startups, mostly in the Southern California area. And uh, Raken is based in Carlsbad, California, kind of in North County, San Diego. And uh, they're an application that is designed to help build uh, applic- build applications for the field to help superintendents uh, do their job a little bit faster, a little bit better. And in order to really serve the construction community, they figured that having someone who had extensive understanding and experience within the industry would really be beneficial for the overall organization. And so I joined the company at the beginning of this year. So I've been here a little over five months and kind of just coming in to, to bring in some added construction DNA into the into the organization. Um, obviously, we, we're a, a software company, so we have a sales team, we have marketing team, we have product team, we have uh, customer success team. And a lot of those individuals obviously have backgrounds specifically in those kind of industries. And so because construction is kind of a unique industry, there's a lot of unique ways that they operate, a lot of kind of interesting, even just acronyms that people use on a regular basis that might be foreign to someone who's not familiar with the construction industry. So I came in kind of as uh, like an outside, like an in-house consultant to come in and help, you know, raise the overall construction IQ of the company, kind of help speak to our clients, uh, kind of understand who they are, understand what they really need, and and just obviously work across different departments to to kind of help guide where, where we should go. Yeah, and fresh out of the field, just five months. You're 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 just pre-COVID, uh, um, uh, you know, no with the com- with the company. So I imagine it, uh, yeah. it's been a been a sharp acceleration in in figuring out how to communicate those uh, you know, those unique aspects about the construction industry. And and one of the things that you know we talked about that kind of got our conversation started here was was uh, you know some of your thinking on the best ways for contractors to um, you know maximize productivity and, and profitability in the in this sort of post-COVID world that we're dealing with. And I, and I thought it was really interesting that, that uh, you know, your, your suggestion is you feel pretty strongly about, about, about modular construction in, in this, this current environment. Why is that? Yeah, and it, it, it's interesting because, you know, like you said, I've only been out of the construction industry and in the software world for about five months. So, you know, the, the last five years leading up to this, I have seen personally uh, prefabrication and modularization become an extremely big focus point in the construction industry, primarily with larger construction companies and, and companies that are trying to be more innovative, right? And I've seen also a lot of uh, private investing money going into companies that 
are working on modularization or prefabrication, as well as even subcontractors that are focusing on how can we do even smaller things, like how can we prefabricate light fixtures before they come on the job site? Can we prefabricate and weld a truss and have it delivered on a truck instead of having to weld it together and, and bring out just the pieces, right? And so I, I think I, I saw a, a you know, first five years of my career, there really was no interest in it. And then there was a segue about five years ago where it really started to take off, especially, like I said, on some of these kind of larger profile uh, projects. I was on the Wilshire Grand Project, for example, in downtown LA. It's uh, the tallest building in, in California at the time. And Korean Air was the, was the owner, and they were really big on, on innovation. And let's do things differently. And so we prefabricated all of our restrooms and, mm -hmm. and brought them into this hotel. And, and, you know, in theory, that's going to save a lot of time. Obviously, there were some, some issues there because the, the technology is so new. But I, I see the interest and the investment in that technology being completely um, accelerated because of something like COVID. Because when you are limited as a subcontractor or as a general contractor to a certain amount of contractors or workers that can be on the job site, if that is, you know, 50% or 60% of what it was before, obviously there's a huge concern with production. And so you start thinking to yourself, okay, if instead of having a crew of 20, if I have a crew of 12, how can I do other things maybe on, on, the, on the front end of the project that can allow those 12 individuals to be as productive or close to as productive as the original 20 were. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've seen, I've seen things like, like I mentioned, you know, light fixtures being fully assembled off-site and delivered on-site, so all they're doing is installing, as opposed to the old-school ways you bring the whole box out and an apprentice gets the instructions out and puts it all together, right, with a journeyman overseeing it, and then they yeah. install it together. It's like, no, this is all done off-site. And, and little things like that, I, I, see, I see the need for it as well as I see the benefit of it. I see a lot of contractors seeing the benefit of, man, if I can prefabricate things off-site, potentially at a fraction of the cost, better efficiency, potentially better quality, and all I need to do is bring it on-site and install it, uh, there's going to be a lot more thinking to that way because then you are going to have less manpower on the job site. Yeah, and, and even, you know, things as simple as social distancing, I'm, you know, I, I'm seeing reading, uh, uh, you know, if you're, if you're doing a, like a, a full restroom off-site or something like that, you don't have plumbers and electricians and uh, finishers all working shoulder to shoulder in, you know, in, in a bathroom. Uh, um, yeah, it, yeah exactly. A typical yeah. commercial bathroom or even a, a hotel bathroom. You might, yeah, you might have six crews in there working at any given time in a, what is, what, what is a typical bathroom? You know, like 50 square feet? Absolutely. Right. It, yeah, from a social yeah. distancing standpoint, that schedule then potentially gets thrown out weeks, right? Because you can't, throw the plumber and the tile guy in there to do their trim, like, you have to do them one at a time. So that's a really great point that you brought up about, yeah, from a social distancing standpoint, it could really be advantageous. Yeah, yeah. The challenge, though, is, I mean, you know, for, if, if you're going to prefab bathrooms, I mean, that's something that's got to happen in the planning for that building. Um, you know, yeah. so, I mean, if, 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 if today somebody recognizes, yeah, I'm going to prefabs the way I want to go, you know, the first building he's going to be working on under that kind of, uh, uh, you know, under that kind of a process is, is at least 18 months out, you know. Yeah. Um, so what, what kinds of 
things can a contractor today who's suddenly facing a shortage of labor because guys don't want to come in come into their their project sites or because the the local regulations require you know him to work with a third of his normal crew what kind of things can can a, a contractor today say okay I'm going to prefab this offsite, you know, and still fit into the process that the um, the, the architect and the engineer and the project owner are expecting. Yeah, so I mean, I, I've seen things, you know, a lot of the time the prefab is obviously going to be the most advantageous in kind of like an MEP situation. And I've seen mechanical contractors, for example, if they're going to install. Um, not necessarily, or maybe an air handler unit, or even you know, even like a uh, like an evaporator, uh, you know, in, in in a hallway, in a corridor of an office space. You know, typically the support structure for that is you've got Unistrut, you've got all thread going into the deck, and a lot of times what you'll do is you'll you'll bring that evap out, and you'll figure out where the layout goes, and you'll cut the Unistrut on site. You'll you'll measure the all thread, how, how deep does it need to be? You'll you'll cut that on site. And then you'll, you know, put it all together, you'll, you'll mount the that, and then you'll lift it on a, on a uh, scissor lift, right? So, for example, I've seen a mechanical contractor do this, is, is they'll say, okay, I'm going to go out on the job site with one journeyman that I trust really well, and he is going to figure out where that EVAP's going to go, the depth it's going to be from the deck, and the width I need my prefab or my Unistrut to be. He'll call into the, uh, into the, the warehouse, and in the shop, they'll go have another guy go and cut all, everything into place, mount it, and that way when they deliver that EVAP, it's already got all the Unistrut, all the all-thread, everything, and then all they need to do is just mount it. So you're, you're, you're eliminating at least two or three workers on the job site that would typically be part of that operation. They're able to then work in your, you know, in your shop where you probably have a lot more control, a lot less uh, other contractors working around, um, and it'll cut down drastically the, the amount of manpower that's on the job site. And if you've got, you know, 20 evaporators on floor, you can knock out all 20 of them and the, the, and bring them out. You know, and yeah. if there's a little bit of, of elevation changes, you can mark them and make sure that you've got that organized. Um, you know, and then. You know, plumbing's another great one. You think about, like, a chase wall behind, uh, you know, a bathroom. Like, again, a bathroom. I've seen a lot of plumbers. What they'll do is they'll figure out, you know, they'll measure, you know, where do we need to have the stub outs for the toilets or the urinals and, and where exactly, what are the elevations and where are they. And they'll go and they'll pipe everything in their shop. And they'll, they'll get it all run across the, the whole backside of the wall. And they'll have their little stub outs and they'll bring it out and they'll just mount it. And, I mean, from a time-saving standpoint, you know, what they'll do is they'll just make sure it's in there before the second uh, part of the framing is complete. And, you, you, just, you know, that's just, you know, coordination with the framers. But, uh, and I've seen that, that have a lot of success as well, where you're thinking, you know, you have one, one individual that you trust really well go out there and make all these measurements. And then you've got a team back in the, uh, back in the shop doing all the work. And then it just takes maybe one or two guys, uh, you know, or workers, male or female, in order to yeah. mount it. And it can really save a lot of, from a, from a social distancing and a manpower on a job site standpoint, it can really help reduce a lot of manpower. Like yeah, right those, now. those are really good points. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier, you know, welding together a truss or something like that and bringing a, bringing a fully, fully built truss out and just mounting. Exactly. And that's another one, right? You know, if you, you know you've got three or four trusses kind of in an open area, you know, a lot of times what you do is you just get the raw steel and you've got a crew of, you know, six or seven journeyman laborers who are, or, or welders who are just welding the whole thing together. You do that in the shop, 
bring it out, and then you've got maybe one or two guys. You, know, you can drastically reduce the amount of manpower that you need on the physical job site. Obviously, yeah. you have manpower back in the shop, but it, when you're in a shop environment, you can, ha- you can have a lot more control uh, than you would on a typical construction job site. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, those kinds of... Those kind of changes to processes, of, um, like you said, you know, coordinating it, coordinating the installation with the framers and all that sort of thing, are going to kind of start, you know, start sending feelers out to other other crafts on the on the site. So there's going to be some negotiation involved with uh, the schedule uh, on, on something like that. Absolutely. What's the, what kinds of what are, what are you seeing? Are the things that kind of grease the skids to make that that sort of thing acceptable to everybody? Because I mean, I'm just I'm just imagining a situation where the you know the framers have their schedule and they're like, wait a minute, you know, what, why why should I change what I'm doing to make your life easier? Uh, yeah, how, how no, are people how are people managing that that kind of situation? Yeah, and and one of the unique things that I've always really truly enjoyed about construction is is it really is at the end of the day a, a relationship based business and, and mm. people truly do care about each other across different trades you know I, as, as advantageous and, or as, as, uh, as adversarial and as confrontational as it can be on certain job sites between trades between subcontractors and general contractors at the end of the day people really do want to see everyone succeed there is a team and a collaborative feel because at the end of the day, a job site is only successful if everyone works together. And so when you have a situation like, like, especially like COVID, it really does bring everyone together. And if there's a situation where, you know, when I was a superintendent and, and I was managing trades, if I walked into the restroom and I had my framing foreman and I had my plumbing foreman and we said, listen, guys, we're not going to be able to have the seven plumbers and the six framers in this restroom like we wanted to in order to meet the schedule, right? Obviously, things have changed. Here's an idea we have, and I want to. We and the plumber and I want to run it by the framer, and we say, "Listen, we're going to have one guy in here. He's going to measure everything. He's going to fab everything offsite. I need you to. I need you to frame the back side of the chase wall. And I need you to leave, and I need you to hold off, and I need you to let him fab, install, and then frame the second part of the wall. And obviously, he's going to look at me and say, "Listen, like this is not in scope. But at the end of the day, if it, if it makes sense for the job site." And it really doesn't financially impact the, tr- the crew exponentially. If I can make it up to him in another area, you know, if I can say, hey, you can't frame this wall, but I'll let you frame the entire corridor over there. You know, it, there's always that kind of trading negotiation. And also yeah. just the, at the end of the day, the foremen that I've worked with that have really excelled, especially, are the ones that are saying, you know what, for the betterment of the project, I understand that this is what's going to need to happen. And because I do it, because I do a favor here, I know when, when, if something happens down the road, that plumbing foreman is going to do anything he can to help me out. And it does create this kind of camaraderie that, that I've always appreciated. And so I think having those just honest conversations and being completely transparent about, listen, like we understand this is out of scope, but this is what we need to do because of the circumstances. Almost any single foreman ever is going, as long as you're transparent and forthright, they're going to completely be on board to help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you said, it's the it's it's kind of a kind of a foxhole situation. We all, everybody knows that what you know what the what the big challenge is here, and you know working together to get it done. Uh, you know, what the, at the end of the day, it's all about all about making sure that the project owner gets their gets their building at somewhere close to on That's time. It. 
Yeah. And, and you know, the, 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 thing that, the thing that the framers always think about, too, is, you know, if I do these small little favors on this job and we're able to make a great project out of, you know, out of a difficult situation, that superintendent, that general contractor, when they go to bid out the next job, who do you think they're going to want on that job? Yeah. yeah. They're going to say, I need that framing company and I need that foreman. You know, and that, that, and that, that speaks volumes to, to any executive that, you know, the framing, the, the president of that framing company is going to say, man, you know, that foreman, that guy's my all-star. You know, we have a great relationship with this GC now. And that's how, that's how the world works in construction is it's all relationship-based. How do we, how do we maintain these excellent relationships? So on the next job, they think, man, I gotta, I gotta get that company on this job. Sure. Sure. Well, um, you know, another of the things that's going on uh, in in this environment is there's just tremendous amount of, of use of electronic uh, uh, conferencing and you know with uh, either FaceTime or Zoom or whatever. Um, and, and people talk about that application in in construction. Where do you see the the sort of um, greatest value? Uh, and at the largest volume in use of, of electronic conferencing uh, in construction. Yeah, and it's a great it's a great point. So obviously, you know, there, there's two distinct worlds in construction, right? There's the office and there's the field, and 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 the office functions more like a traditional uh, kind of industry where where you can use Zoom conferencing to to have meetings because you know if a project manager is working in the office and wants to have a meeting with the architect, they can have a Zoom meeting and they can discuss, you know, maybe some constructability issues or, or a detail that they're working on. And that's very similar to any industry. But obviously out in the field, it's really unique because you have to physically be on the job site to build. You can't work from home. You can't work remote. The only way to build a project is to physically be on the project. And obviously with the social distancing, and with the limited manpower that you want to have on a job site, you don't want to have people like project managers maybe come into the job every day like they would, and you don't want to have owners walking the job every day like they would, and you don't want to have architects walking the job because that just obviously increases the chance of, of spreading this disease. And so what I'm seeing and, and what I've even used in the past is, you know, at a certain point, I, I used to work for WeWork before, uh, before I came to Raken, and we were, we were building office space, obviously, at a very rapid rate, and I had a central location uh, office, and I was working on, you know, four or five projects at any given time. So obviously I couldn't be there. Um, and this is, you know, related to COVID because when I couldn't be there, if there was an issue, like my superintendent called me and said, hey, listen, we have a constructability issue. The detail that is designed is not going to work, and here's why. The first thing I would say is throw me on FaceTime and show me. And so they would FaceTime me, and they would physically show me, hey, you know, look, this is where the framing ends. This is where the conduit runs. This is why it's not going to work. Here's an existing beam, X, Y, Z, right? And so that really enhanced my ability to understand what was going on. And it really helped us to have a collaborative experience where we could problem solve together because we were both understanding the situation. We were both staring at it from the same vantage point. And then we were able to then communicate, you know, with, with the, the stakeholders, you know, in the field and figure out, and then I could go effectively articulate that to an architect or, or whoever needed to be involved. I see that being even more enhanced and, and more uh, effective. Even if you're a project manager on a single job and you're used to being in the job site trailer and walking that job every day at the end of the, jo- at the end of the day with your superintendent, they, they, that, that, that's kind of gone away in the last few months because the PMs are working from home. They're not going to the job site. 
you know, owners, and you, you always have to continue to keep owners and architects and anyone in the design team, you know, informed. You have to have open lines of communication to show them the progress because they always want to see and make sure that their project is going according to schedule. And so, you know, you think about something like an, like, like an OAC meeting, the owner-architect-contractor meeting. You have those once a week where you discuss, you know, what's going on in the schedule, what's going on with the budget, you know, is there anything that's going to hold us up. To have an effective Zoom meeting where you could have a superintendent, a single superintendent on the call, share his screen, and walk someone through a job site, you know, that, that would allow all these people to have the peace of mind that they want to see the progress, you know, and, and, and beyond just obviously photos are great. Photos speak a thousand words, but, but video, visual, and walking it through there and having the superintendent walk you through, hey, you know, this is that RFI that we've been talking about. Here is the issue in the field. This is physically why it's not going to work, right? That always yeah. helps to open everyone's mind to understand. And I think that, that you know, things like Zoom, things like FaceTime, even things like you know, the Hollow Builder, which is a 360 tool that takes yeah. 360 photos, you know, those types of softwares are going to be instrumental, I think, moving forward, especially because, you know, construction is an interesting industry where obviously they've been, we, we, we have been slow to adapt technology if you compare us to almost any other industry in the last, yeah. you know, 20, 30 years. I think this pandemic has made a lot of people realize that uh, we can leverage technology in a way that we didn't think we could or we didn't think would be really valuable. And I think now that we've understood that, you know, having a lot of, having owners and architects and contractors either fly in or drive once a week to a job site to have a meeting, I think people are realizing we don't need to do that. There's a cost savings opportunity here. And if we leverage these softwares, the cost of the software is instrumentally lower than the cost of the gas and the time and the flying and all of that. We could have effective conversations and effective meetings by leveraging the software. I think this is something that even post-COVID will just continue in the industry. Yeah, I've, I've um, written or edited a couple of stories recently with uh, commercial builders who are doing more instrumentation with with photography uh, on their project sites, really upping the, the volume and the, the level of, of uh, resolution that they can bring to visually imaging their project sites in this post-COVID space, um, you know, just pursuing exactly that. Just being able to to keep an eye on on project sites without sending people out to them. Oh, Absolutely, stuff. and it's amazing, and it's amazing how the technology has completely advanced in the last few years. I mean, you mentioned the resolution. I mean, you know, five five years ago when I was doing job site photos, I got handed you know a Canon photo, a digital yeah. camera. You know, you walk around, you take photos, you take out the you know the SIM card, and you you upload them or whatever. I mean, now we've got like you know GoPro level high-resolution 4K cameras that automatically sync to the cloud. I mean, it's just, it's just fascinating. And I, just, I, I feel that now that the construction industry has software kind of in their crosshairs and they're yeah. leveraging it, the, yeah. the, the amount of investment that will go into these companies and the amount of improvements that we'll see over the next five years will be exponential to what we've seen. Yeah, yeah, and you, you know, you 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 think of it that just getting pictures, sure, hand somebody a camera, or, you know, take, you let them take pictures with their smartphone, and that's fine. But if you want to, if you want to actually see progress, you have to take the same picture from the same place on a regular, on a routine basis, and then be able to access those pictures. Yep. You know what I mean? Without somebody flipping through a thousand pictures in a in a, in a folder to try and find just just the right one so we've got all this software that will coordinate those things 
And I, what did I see on uh, uh, the, the Denver um, uh, airport job? The, I, I can't think of the name of the contractor. There was a joint JV out there building that thing, and they're they're using one of those robot dogs. Uh, I saw cam- that. Yeah, with I a camera on that. its back. Yeah, um, you know that that and that 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 robot dog is commercially available. I just I just saw a headline the other day that you know that that you can buy that thing and uh, yeah and and uh, you know and and drone photography is real similarly being used on infrastructure type projects um, to do very similar kinds of things and you know track daily and weekly production you know with real accuracy um, just using telemetry. Um, Absolutely. Per- Pretty amazing stuff. Well, um, what kinds of of latitude do contractors have? How do they? How do contractors um, negotiate changes in scheduling? I mean, that's that's got to be the huge thing right now. You know, because all the schedules have got to be pretty much out the window at this point. Uh, you know, people have got to be figuring out ways to to make these projects work. Um, what, what the, what's the negotiation position for, for most contractors today? Yeah, and that's, that's definitely kind of the, going to be the elephant in the room come the end of a lot of these projects. And obviously, like you said, the, the schedule, if a project was, was in full force January and February and continued through March and April, obviously the, the production that was agreed to originally was completely thrown out the window. And so, you know, speaking with some contractors that, that I know who have been working can continue to work through this, it, it's all about open lines of communication and just being very, very forthright and transparent. And it's, and it's all about accurate documentation in writing. That's the number one thing. And if some contractors can capture, hey, listen, I agreed eight months ago to a project and I agreed to a certain amount of duration based on a production rate that I can meet when I'm able to just work. When COVID came and we had a one week delay because we shut the job down, there's a delay. Obviously that's not, you know, and I have that documented. Then we came back and there were all of these restrictions. It's all about calculating. Okay. If I was planning on doing a certain activity in five days with 10 workers. If I'm only allowed to have four workers on the job, that activity is now going to take me 11 days. So I need to track and I need to be very, you know, have constant communication and track in writing of, hey, listen, I am tracking the added cost of my general conditions, of, you know, my equipment, all of these things that are, and, and there, right, there's two things that we can either do in a situation like this. We can either extend schedules or we can pay overtime and pay different things in order to bring schedules back to where they were. Obviously, throwing manpower on the job, which is typical, is, hey, you know, you've got eight guys on the job, double it, and let's, you know, cut this duration in half. You can't do that. So, so own, owners need to be very understanding, and general contractors need to take the lead to protect themselves and their subcontractors, you know, because obviously a lot of owners, especially... They, they don't, their construction is not their specialty, right? If you're building an office or, you know, some sort of financial organization, their specialty is, is finance. They don't understand necessarily the ins and outs of construction. So the general contractors need to take the lead on educating and, and keeping that open line of communication of, listen, we cannot meet this aggressive schedule anymore. 
and even and, and the and in the real in the normal world in the non-COVID world, we would say we can double our manpower and bring this schedule in, but we can't physically do that. The CDC and OSHA will not allow. It. So it needs to be a, a communication line of, hey, listen, you know, if this job was slated to open in October, it's probably not going to open until the first of the year now, and 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 owners then need to have GCs need to be able to articulate. A, a new schedule as soon as possible saying, listen, based on the current conditions and based on buy-in from our subcontractors, this is an alternate schedule that we can make. Then they need to communicate that to the owner as soon as possible because then the owner needs to go back potentially to investors or lenders and be able to articulate that and say, hey, listen, our pro forma needs to be updated and we need to change the way that we're going to uh, potentially finance this project or or project, you know, our our, uh, our revenue stream because we are delayed at least 60, maybe 90 days because of this pandemic. And then on the flip side, if projects are getting ready to start and subcontractors and GCs are in negotiation with owners, they need to be very transparent about what their capabilities are. You know, this is another interesting thing. In the last 10 years of being in this industry, I have seen schedules just slowly, slowly gets shorter and shorter. Durations are shortened. Owners are demanding more. And, and the typical thing is, listen, just throw as much manpower at it as you can. Let's get as creative as we can. Let's work double shifts. Let's work swing shifts. Right? And, and, and we've been working crazy hours in order to make some of these really aggressive schedules a reality. In this new COVID world, as much as, as, as we would love to continue to do that, it's just not possible. You can continue to do the different shifts, but you're just not going to be able to throw as much manpower on there as you want. And so owners need to, again, be understanding of that. And general contractors need to take the lead and say, listen, we can't make these aggressive schedules. We're not going to be able to build a 16-story high-rise in 18 months anymore. It's just not possible. It's probably going to take at least 24 months. And, and, and the sooner they can understand that, because then owners need to turn around and, and if they built a 16-story high-rise a year ago and their pro forma shows they're going to be able to build it in 18 months, they need to understand you're not going to have it in 18 months. You're going to have it in 24. So you need to, you need to adjust however your financing is or however your investment plan is. That, need, that business plan needs to be adjusted. And so yeah. obviously it, it's difficult, but, but it, it, it's, it's going to be the reality. That'll drive some, some transition to, to prefab uh, right there. Uh, because you know, that, that's the, and, and sa- exactly you nailed on the head because savvy owners are going to say what can we do to bring this in as much as possible and, yeah. and that will say that will drive hey what if we prefab all the bathrooms what if we prefab all of the pantries absolutely and then that will drive investors to say man I can get on the ground level and get in a, you know, a, a modular company off the ground and really dialed in you know this could be a huge opportunity yeah yeah interesting very interesting. It's truly an exciting time, I think, to be in construction. I think we're seeing a shift like we haven't in a long time where we're, we're really going to be leveraging new tools, and, and I think it's going to create a really unique time to be and a really exciting time to be in construction. Yeah, I mean, you know, just think about the scope of the conversation we just had. You know, we're talking about uh, about, about prefab, uh, you know, that which is a huge shift in in the way um, buildings go up, um, but also communication tools and and project 
management tools and uh, you know the the uh, digital imaging of, of construction sites in such a way that we can you know very meticulously measure process uh, processes progress and and issues uh, you know the um, it's a, it's a you know, these are these are things that have been a, been a long time coming. Those all those technologies, all that all this this uh, ability to do these things has always been there. Uh, but here's the here's the financial motivation to say, hey, look, we can put a dollar figure on what these things can actually accomplish, and uh, you know, project owners are going to be motivated to get that dollar value. Absolutely, no, it's so true, and 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 yeah, this this pandemic has certainly shifted and forced everyone, and now now they're starting to realize that there there is an incredible amount of money that could be made if we can do things better, utilizing leveraging software and and leveraging tools like prefabrication, and uh, you know it's one of those things where you just you don't do it until you you're facing death. You don't yeah. realize what you need yeah. to do, and, and this is one of those eye-opening situations where uh, it, it, I think it's really going to change the industry in, in a positive way. Right, right. You've got the, uh, you know, an awful lot of opportunity to distinguish yourself in a marketplace. Uh, yep. If you if you can you can communicate the uh, the the value of these tools and put them into place, and then execute yeah. on them. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I really appreciate your time uh, so much, Brian. Thank you uh, for, for it. And, uh, you know, if there's, um, you know, anything else that we haven't talked about, I just realized I'm, I'm bringing this conversation to a close. I, I should should offer you uh, the opportunity to talk about uh, other stuff that uh, that we haven't touched on yet. No, I mean, it's just, like I, like I said, I think kind of my, my overall – uh, kind of summary of the conversation is just what, what an exciting time to be in construction. I never would have thought at the beginning of the year we would have a global pandemic, and I, and I definitely never thought that it would actually potentially be a, uh, a shift that that forces construction to embrace technology. And I think uh, in five years we'll look back and realize that this was a big turning point for the industry. Uh, it, it had started five years before the pandemic, and had gained momentum, and I think the pandemic was really the turning point. I think in five years, we won't even recognize this industry with the amount of technology that it's utilizing and, and the creativity that's involved. And so I would just, you know, I, I would recommend any, any contractor that's not leveraging technology this time, you know, look into tools, look into your resources, understand, you know, what's available to you out there. You know, there's a lot of great technologies now that are specific to construction. You think about things like Procore, obviously rake in for the field, you know, and, and, and play things like hollow builder that are really designed for the construction industry. And, and, and these technologies are only going to get better. And, um, we're, we're, we're construction's here to stay. And, and I'm really excited to see how construction technology can really elevate the entire industry. Well, thanks again, Brian. I really appreciate your time. It was an interesting conversation. I look forward to, to, to talking again sometime soon. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you again so much for having me. I, I really do appreciate it, and I, I hope you have a great day. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you to Brian Poge of Raken for speaking with us. Tune in every Monday for another episode of the Digging Deeper podcast from 4constructionpros.com, and be sure to subscribe and share. You keep listening, we'll keep digging. Until next time.